Hi, I'm Eden. And I'm Nicole. Welcome to Roadside, Roadside Horror, Horror Show. Show. We're still in Oklahoma this week. We are indeed. We are indeed. I don't really have anything else to say about that. <laughs> I don't really either. <laughs> then uh, let me go ahead and dive into some of the weird laws in Oklahoma, because I will say the laws in Oklahoma are weird, but also rather unexpected. Okay. Oh, oh, there is one interesting thing that I have to say about Oklahoma. Yeah, tell so me. So when doing, when doing my research, I completely forgot what state we were in for a second. And when I was researching the town, I was looking at the demographics of like, you know, the, like the, the race makeup of the, the city. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, wow, Native Americans is the third most populous. That's, that's rare. And I'm like, oh, it's Oklahoma. Never mind. <laughs> You're like, oh, wait, I'm in Oklahoma <laughs> where all your people live. Exactly. That's kind of funny. So weird laws in Oklahoma. I feel like you'll enjoy these, Eden. All right. Now let's start off big, and I mean really big. Whaling is illegal in Oklahoma. Also, Oklahoma is landlocked and there are no whales. Yeah, that's <laughs> so, what I was about to say. So yeah, you can't you can't whale in Oklahoma. So I mean, don't, don't forget about those uh, very elusive lake whales. I mean... <laughs> Lake whales <laughs> and pond whales. They're bigger Puddle than you. Th- they're you're, they're bigger than you think. That is really weird. <laughs> I mean, you can't just spear some lipstick and call it whaling. Yeah, I know. I'm kind of like, okay, cool. I mean, I guess I support that across the board, whether or not you can actually hunt whales in yeah Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is starting off pretty good. <laughs> All right, next up. It's illegal to have tissues in the back of your car. I'm assuming this means the back window. Either way, I just heard hearts of grandmothers everywhere break a little bit. Exactly. Well, I mean, I try to keep some in the glove box, but. Sure, glove box, totally. But I feel like anytime I see that like little box of Kleenex in someone's like back window, I'm like, all right, they're going to drive slow. <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so on the flip side, speaking of grandmothers. Your grandma, if she's in Oklahoma, won't hear any foul language. A 1910 state law prohibits cursing in public with a $1 fine as a penalty. I can only imagine. I know. I can only imagine the size of some of the swear jars in the Sooner State, right? Yeah. It's the state swear jars, I was going to say. Exactly. That's crazy. Okay. (laughs) They were onto something in Oklahoma. Yeah. They'd get a lot of money from me, I tell you that. I know. I feel like you would just write a $100 check at least once a week. Just be like, here you go. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, And then two more laws that I was totally shocked to learn about. Uh, This first one kind of blew my mind a little bit, but it made sense considering some of the topics I came across when I was doing my research and looking for a story. I kept hitting upon, you know, tales about moonshiners in Oklahoma. Okay. Well, it turns out that alcohol was illegal in Oklahoma. Most alcohol, I should say, was illegal in Oklahoma until 1959. Wow. So it turns out that when uh, the 21st Amendment to end national prohibition was up for ratification, Oklahoma just refused to ratify it. And then they instead approved a law which only allowed for the sale of beer in the state. And that beer had to be no more than 3.2% uh, alcohol by volume. Wow, that's a small amount. Yep, yep. Tiny. It's almost like near beer. It's just a little bit more than near yeah. beer, but it's a very, very weak session beer. Exactly. Because like a lot, like 
a normal beer is like four to five percent alcohol by volume. Yeah, exactly. So very weak beer, like watered down beer. Um, so that's how it's been from 1933 through 1959. Um, by 1959, lawmakers finally passed a bill allowing all other alcohol to be sold in the state. So fun fact. I was like, what? Because I kept reading all these stories about like moonshiners and like bootleggers yeah. in the 50s. And I'm like, what? That's, yeah, not the right time for them. <laughs> <laughs> And then the second law that I learned about was that Oklahoma was the last American state to legalize tattooing. Oh. And they finally legalized tattooing in 2006. Holy crap. Right? Right? I feel like back in the 60s, there was a lot of like concern and a lot of states passed laws outlawing and banning tattooing. Um, like places like New York City, Massachusetts, it was illegal to get tattoos there in the 60s. And they were mostly concerned about communicable diseases like hepatitis and, you know, good old moral panic. People having tattoos, they're just criminals. Of course. That's how you can tell who the criminals are. Exactly. That's what that's what the Yakuza, I mean, they're the only people who have tattoos, right? Yakuza's and pirates. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> this I thought was interesting, though, as I dug more into this tattooing ban in Oklahoma. Um, somewhat ironically, the Oklahoma Tattooing and Piercing Association and the Oklahoma Body Art Coalition, both organizations who fought to change the state's tattoo laws in the 1990s and early 2000s, their main argument was that by prohibiting tattooing, it was actually leading to a greater public health risk because you drove tattoo parlors underground and they weren't regulated. So you were actually increasing the chance that someone yep. would get something like hepatitis. <laughs> it's like, exactly wow. what I say about like abortion mm -hmm. and why that needs to be legal. Yeah. Because otherwise it's, you know, you have these back alley abortions and wire hanger bullshit and, and then women are in major trouble. So for women's safety, it's a very big deal, you know? Yeah, for and sure. That's the same thing with this tattooing thing. Making something illegal never makes people actually stop doing it. They just get better at hiding it. Exactly. Just because you make it illegal doesn't mean it goes away. And it just brings in more crime and more other crap. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So those were the strange laws that I discovered when exploring Oklahoma. They were pretty weird and pretty good. Yeah. I liked it very much. I was very surprised by all of those. I know, right? It's like, oh my goodness. I'm glad I, I'm glad that I can go to like Oklahoma now and have like a delicious whiskey and also get a tattoo commemorating my journey through Oklahoma. <laughs> well, probably not at the same time, but I mean, a girl can dream. A girl can also bleed out. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> you know what? I'll have a celebratory whiskey after my tattoo. Oh, I need to tell you about something uh, interesting that happened when I drove home from work Friday night. Okay. Uh, so there was this car parked outside my house. I'm like, okay, that's weird. I'll just park in my little off-street parking that I have. And, you know, I get out of my car and this guy's like, excuse me, sir, how are you tonight? And I'm like, oh, God, I don't have time for this. I just want to go home. You're going to get served with papers, aren't you? Uh, I, I, that's, uh, I mean, if I thought any legal things were pending, I already had my divorce, so I'm not going to be <laughs> served with those papers. But um, this guy, I was like, I'm fine. How are you? You know, I always try to be nice. Mm -hmm. um, and then he's like, look, man, like, I kind of don't have a place to stay tonight. Like, you know, could you put me up? And I'm like, um, I, I 
don't know you. Like I was very tempted to be like, I have a true crime podcast. I've I've seen things that I can't unsee now, and um, just <laughs> no. <laughs> he seemed like a nice enough guy, but you never know. It is also very random to ask somebody, "Hey, can I crash at your place? I see you're I see you're coming home." And then, like, I looked at the window, and it looked like they were knocking on every door. Wow. Asking. Which he was like, I'll give you $100. If you have $100, you could rent a hotel room for the night. Yeah. Yeah. That's a little concerning. Exactly. Yeah. It was weird. Well, I'm glad it worked out, hopefully, for everyone. And Yeah. I mean, I hope that he found a place to sleep, and I hope that no one got murdered. Yes, and yes. I also hope that, too. <laughs> and speaking of murder. Yeah, speaking of murder, I guess I can dive into my my true crime story. Go for it. I think you'll like it. So today we're heading back to Oklahoma City. Um, And since you covered Oklahoma City's offerings really well in our previous episode, this time we're going to head to explore the northern suburbs near Edmond, Oklahoma. Edmond is part of the greater Oklahoma City metro area, and it has about 94,000 residents who live in a... 87 square mile city. One of the top employers of the city is the University of Central Oklahoma, which is one of three colleges and universities in Edmond. The other two are Herbert W. Armstrong, a theological school, and Oklahoma Christian University, which is a private Christian college. Okay, so we got some religious folk in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Edmond is also the hometown of Olympic gymnast Shannon Miller. And Shannon Miller is actually America's most decorated Olympic gymnast. She won five medals in the 1992 Summer Olympics and then two additional gold medals in the 1996 Summer Olympics for a total of seven medals, which is really wow. impressive. I know. The city is also not- has another notable connection to the crime or true crime world and pop culture. It was in Edmond where on August 20th, 1986, former postman Patrick Sherrill massacred his former post office colleagues before committing suicide. Wow. Yeah. The Edmond Post Office shooting was the deadliest string of killings of U.S. postal employees, and it actually inspired that pop term, slang term, quote, going postal. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's not my story for today, but I did feel like I should mention it uh, since it happened in the same town where I'm going to start my story. As I mentioned before, Edmond has several religious colleges, and it also has lots of churches. And it was at one church in particular, the North Point Baptist Church, where the Andrew family attended. High school sweethearts Rob and Brenda Andrew had grown up in religious families and were active church members. Brenda was a Sunday school teacher, while Rob was a deacon. Outside of church, Rob was a successful advertising executive, and Brenda, who had worked in banking before the couple had two children, was a stay-at-home mom. By all appearances, the Andrews seemed like your average happy American family. So it sent shockwaves through the Oklahoma City community when two masked gunmen attacked the couple in their home, killing Rob and wounding Brenda. Oh, shit. But when investigators began looking into the seemingly random attack, they discovered greed, lust, and lies teeming beneath the surface of the Andrews marriage. (gasps) My favorite. I know. I think you'll really enjoy this. Sorry, Eden. I'm calling it the Sunday School Killers. Oh, okay. I'm intrigued. I do want to say I feel like your previous story uh, for Oklahoma Part 1 very much inspired me to tell you this tale since I feel like it had lots of elements that you'll thoroughly enjoy. 
awesome. Now, while it was true that Rob and Brenda had started dating in high school, they had met at a swimming pool during the summer before Brenda's senior year and before Rob's freshman year at Oklahoma State University, there were cracks in their relationship that manifested as infidelity, mostly on Brenda's part, very early on. When Brenda went off to college in Kansas, she dated other boys. It's unclear if this was a let's date other people while we're apart scenario or if Brenda was just straight up cheating on Rob. Hmm. I lean towards the cheating since Rob kept a diary and prayer journals through most of his life. And in one of those entries, he goes on to say, quote, when I drove to her school in Kansas to surprise her, I found out that she had spent the night in her old boyfriend's dorm room. Ooh, devastating. Oh, yeah. Not good. But apparently that didn't really make an impact on Rob, and he didn't really take that as a red flag. Because by 1984, he had actually asked Brenda to marry him. Of course, Brenda agreed. Rob was a great guy, good head on his shoulders, very kind, came from the same sort of religious family that she did, and he was going to school for advertising with the prospect of a very good job after graduating. So Brenda agrees, and she asks Rob if he would mind waiting until after her upcoming gig teaching at a summer camp before they proceeded with wedding planning. And at that summer camp, she then proceeded to meet a new boyfriend and dated him throughout her engagement to Rob. Oh, God. Yeah. We're not off to and a I, very good start. <laughs> no. And I would I would definitely go with the cheating thing and not the let's just date other people while we're away thing because this seems like a, a thing with her now. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Definitely seems like a pattern. Uh, however, it does seem like once they got serious and got married in 1984 – she knocked off the running around on Rob, and she was faithful to him. The couple moved to o- from Oklahoma to Texas, where Rob began his career in advertising, and Brenda started working at a bank. After a couple of years, Rob had this really great opportunity to get a better position as an advertising executive, but it meant relocating back to Oklahoma, Oklahoma City specifically, and he kind of insisted that they make the move. He really wanted to start a family with Brenda. He wanted to have kids, and he thought it would be easy if the, easier if they were back in Oklahoma and closer to their families. Brenda was pretty disappointed, according to friends and family. She didn't necessarily want to move back. She had kind of started to lay down roots in Texas. Plus, going back meant that she would have to give up her career in banking because she couldn't guarantee herself a job in Oklahoma City in the banking field. But finally, she relented and agreed to move to Oklahoma City with Rob. With Rob's new six-figure salary, they were able to purchase a very large home in the upscale neighborhood of Landsbrook. Soon, their family started to grow as well. They first had a girl named Tricity, who was born in 1990, and then later a little boy named Parker, who was born in 1994. I'm sorry. I'm going to stop you right there. Tricity? Yes, Tricity. <laughs> what? I'm pretty sure it's Tricity. Other, it's kind of spelled like Tricity, T-I-R-C-I-T-Y. Yeah, I would say Tricity too, but that, I, where did that name even come from is what I want to know. I don't know. It's very unique. Like Part of me is like either they made it up or maybe it's somewhere in the Bible or it's just like they're like, I like the way the word eccentricity sounds. Tricity, great. Yeah, that, that could be too. What <laughs> year was this? 1990. Okay, because if it was like 2020, then definitely weird names abound. For sure. I know, it's just Oklahoma in the 90s. Maybe that's just like a jam that they had. When you can name someone Ladasha and Lapostrophe, you know. Lapostrophe. That's a new one for me. 
Yeah, it's L apostrophe, and that's the name. Ooh, that's apostrophe. Ball- that's ballsy. Yeah. <laughs> so Brenda seemed to be enjoying this whole cozy life that she had with her two kids, and she's rocking the suburban mom thing, and she seems to be pretty okay for several years. However, as she enters her 30s, mid-30s, she starts to become increasingly bored. She had maintained her figure after the birth of her children, and she really liked to show it off. So she starts dressing in what her fellow church members would call more provocative outfits. You know, maybe a little too tight, maybe a little short, a good dose of cleavage. I'm just going to call it 30 and flirty apparel. Okay. Uh, I'm sure that's going to be a new store opening next to Forever 21 soon. (laughs) For sure. Um, And I say that because I looked at some of the outfits that she was wearing. I'm like, yeah, those are – I mean – Yes, they're probably not something you'd wear to church, but like any like young mom would totally wear that. Yeah. I think Oklahoma, it it seems to be a very conservative state from what I've found. Mm-hmm. So I think that's that's the issue there and nothing really else. Yeah, probably probably a little bit provocative for Oklahoma in the 1990s. So speaking of flirty, that is also what seems to keep Brenda occupied and helps her alleviate her boredom. She is known to be a very flirty, very friendly kind of lady. So when guys show up to work on things at the house, she just chats them up. When she's at church, she chats up people very friendly, very approachable. However, this eventually leads to her taking things to the next step and going back to her old ways. She begins having a series of affairs. First, she has a year-long affair with one of her friend's husbands, which is like, girl, that is awful on so many levels. Yeah, like not only are you screwing over your husband, but you're screwing over your friend as well. No, not cool. Yeah, I was instantly like, listen, if you're just going to have an affair and like break your wedding vows, that's fine. But like, don't mess with other people's partners. No, not at all. Yeah. Well, I guess she learns her lesson because after a year, things kind of fizzle out and she just, you know, basically destroys her friend's marriage and they're not friends anymore. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't blame her. So. <laughs> Next up, she starts to flirt with an employee of a grocery store she frequents. And after a couple of months, she walks into the grocery store one day, hands this dude a key to a local hotel and winks at him and walks out. And of course, he goes to meet her and they end up becoming lovers at this local motel. She is ballsy. I would give anything for like even a quarter of her confidence. Yes. That is one thing that popped up in a lot of my sources. They're like, the the more Brenda kind of settled into this like philandering lifestyle, the more confident and brazen she became. And see, it's so funny because it's reminded me of the one thing that made me a little bit more confident, which happened to be dialogue from Dragon Age 2, of all things. (laughs) When uh, I forget who's asking her like about like, you know, why she's like so confident or like whatever, but they're asking Isabella that. And she's like, if you only knew all the times that people have said, get away from me, you pirate hag. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that's her way of saying you miss 100% of the shots you never take. Exactly. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, so Brenda, so she's sleeping with this grocery store guy, right? And like, here's the worst part is that like, she did this before with her friend's husband, but she goes to these motels and she uses the money that Rob gives her to pay for these rooms. And it's interesting though, because when she's having, you know, her favorite topics for pillow talk with these guys is how bored she is as a stay-at-home mom and how she wishes she'd never give up her career. And two, how much she wants out of her marriage to Rob. 
But she wow. kind of says, yeah, she's like, I don't want to leave him though because he makes such good money. Like I'm never going to be able to make six figures and, and I want to keep the lifestyle I'm accustomed to. Uh, yeah, gross, right? Yeah, I'm not a fan. And by all accounts, Rob has this very nice, unassuming, uh, kind of quiet and pretty openly religious man. Like I picture him as like that guy who like says like, darn and will you know pray before lunch that sort of thing i feel so bad for him i know but on the bright side it appears that while all of this is going on with brenda's infidelities he was unaware of them or he could have also been willfully ignorant about them as well kind of like telling himself it's not weird that yeah she's burning through money and things like that so it's hard to tell i feel like nine times out of ten where infidelity is concerned a lot of times the other person knows or at least has their suspicions and they just don't want to believe it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That tends to be what happens. Like I'm I'm very much a person that always wants to give people the benefit of the doubt and I need to stop fucking doing that. <laughs> but, you know, it it's someone that you love. So you don't want to think that that's what's going on. But in your heart, you kind of already know. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I do kind of think that's the the case with Rob as well. I do know that in 1999, this started to change, however, and he started to become aware of her affairs. And this was mostly because Rob became friends with a man named James Pavat, who was one of the other Sunday school teachers at North Point Baptist Church. Uh, James also worked as an insurance agent. Brenda knew James and his wife, uh, Sukui, from their Sunday school duties. All three of them were Sunday school teachers. So. Rob and James start hanging out and they go on hunting trips together and the Pavat. Wait a minute. Yes. I think you said it before, but Brenda's a Sunday school teacher. Yes. She's a Sunday school teacher. Oh my God. Yes. That makes it like worse somehow. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I don't know, but it makes it worse. There's something just like now really morally wrong about it. Not that it wasn't morally reprehensible before. It just got worse in my head. Yeah, it's kind of like crazy because like so she's this like kind of saucy Sunday school teacher, and Rob is the de- is one of the deacons at the church. So he's kind of like this cuckold like deacon at their church. And yeah, and for the most part, people are pretty nice, and they 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 don't really um, talk about it. There's no gossip mill around it because I think Brenda keeps things pretty discreet um, up until 1999 when she starts getting to know James Pavat better. Okay. Now the Pavat and Andrew's family start socializing outside of church together. Uh, they start doing Bible studies with each other. They start going to dinners together. Uh, James even sells Rob a $800,000 life insurance policy during this time. That's an insane amount. Yes. And, and it's insane. And it's an insane amount. But if you think about it for somebody who makes like six figures and has like a wife and two kids, that's a pretty reasonable sized life insurance policy because you ideally True. would want to leave your family in a good financial state, right? Yes. So at Sunday school, James and Brenda start to go grow closer and they end up teaching more and more classes together. And that's when church members start whispering about this sort of flirty behavior they say between the two Sunday school teachers. According to one article I read, the two began, quote, carrying on like teenagers, giggling, passing notes during church services, that sort of thing. Oh, my God. Right? So now Brenda's kind of like, whatever. Just going for it. 
Wow. Okay. Yeah. She grew like a huge pair of lady balls. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's that clicking sound? Is it Brenda's heels? No, it's her lady balls. <laughs> then in the summer of 2001, James divorces his wife, Sukhui, and the church elders ask James and Brenda to stop teaching Sunday school together. They kind of try to intervene and like separate them because it's starting to look pretty bad for the church considering their Sunday yeah. school teachers taking care of the kids. Yeah, that's yeah. Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. By fall of 2001, Brenda asks Rob to move out of the Andrews family home in Landsbrook and she initiates divorce proceedings. So it kind of sounds like their marriage is coming to the inevitable and that it should. Then in October of 2001, Rob receives a really alarming phone call. He gets a call saying that Brenda has been really badly hurt in an accident and that he needs to come to the hospital immediately. Rob being Rob, he rushes off to his estranged wife's side and he quickly discovers a very dangerous problem with his car. His brakes don't work. Uh oh. And when he gets out to investigate, he sees that his front brake lines have been cut. Yep. Even more suspicious later, he calls the hospital to check up on Brenda and Rob discovers that there was no record she was ever admitted. Oh, my God. At this point, Rob is still writing in his prayer journal that he wants to get back together with his wife. But then he also tells friends that he thinks somebody is out to get him and he thinks it could be his wife of 17 years. He just doesn't know. Sounds like it. Or one of her lovers. I know. Spoiler alert. Somebody is out to get you, Rob. Well, I wouldn't doubt it since it's this podcast. (laughs) So Rob does this interesting thing next, and I think this is the point where he starts to really, really suspect Brenda, and this is in in later October 2001. He calls James, and he asks him if he could change the beneficiary on his $800,000 life insurance policy. Now, James tells him falsely that he can't change the beneficiary since the policy isn't under his name. It's actually under Brenda's name, so she's the one who has to make that change. Ooh. Totally a lie that the policy is under Rob's name, but yeah. James and Brenda are in the middle of attempting to like forge Rob's signature to change the ownership of the policy to Brenda anyway. Super messed up. That's yeah, that's fucked up. So again, like I mentioned before, despite his suspicions of Brenda, he's still contemplating. He really wants to get, get contemplating getting back together with her. He really wants to reunite with his wife move back into the family house, and basically just see his kids every day. So on November 18th, 2001, Rob was super stoked and hopeful when he got a call from Brenda, who invited him over to see the New Yorkshire puppy that she purchased for their daughter. Uh, One of the family pets had recently died, and she bought this new puppy for her daughter to sort of help her uh, assuage some of the grief she had over losing a longtime family dog. Rob does a smart thing. He calls his best friend, a guy named Ronnie Stump, and asks him to come with him to the house to see the puppy. When the men arrive, Brenda flips out. She's angry that Rob brought his friend, and she just refuses to let him inside. Rob's pretty dejected, but he eventually leaves with Ronnie and heads home. Later that night, however, after his daughter insisted that her father come over and see the new dog, he does head back to the family home. Brenda still won't let him inside. So while Rob uh, sits in his car in the driveway, she brings the dog outside in a carrier. She refuses to let her daughter come out and see her father, though. That's fucked up. 
Yep. So she's at this point kind of an awful bitch. Yeah. That's putting it mildly. <laughs> Is putting it so, so mildly. You know, under promise, over deliver. That's what Brenda does. <laughs> yeah. Two days later, on November 20th, Rob's back at the family house again. This time he's there to pick up the kids for a long Thanksgiving weekend. He's plan- planning on taking the kids to see his parents and then returning them after Thanksgiving. When he arrives, Brenda greets him. She's much more upbeat and nice to him. And she actually asks him if he could help reignite the pilot light um, on a furnace that they had in their garage since he was here. And she wasn't quite sure exactly how to do it. Rob says, sure. and. After a, f- a few minutes after he enters the garage, James Pavat enters the garage with a 16-gauge shotgun. Oh, shit. It's about to get real messy. He, of course, fires at Rob, who's leaning down in front of the furnace, and he only manages to hit Rob in the shoulder. Rob ducks out of the way, rolls, and grabs a nearby trash can. He hurls it at James who ends up losing his grip on the shotgun and kind of tumbles. As Rob's scrambling, Brenda leaps into action, grabs the shotgun, and fires at Rob again, this time hitting him fatally in the face and neck. Ooh, wow. Yeah. As Rob lay bleeding to death on the floor, she hands James a much smaller twenty-two caliber pistol, which he then uses to shoot her in the arm. Brenda calls 911 in a panic, and by the time the police arrive, Rob is dead, and Brenda is a rich widow with a very shallow bullet wound in her arm. Wait, so they did the scream thing? Basically, yeah. Where it's just like, all right, so you're gonna give me this injury that's not fatal to make it look more real and like I was attacked too. Yep, exactly. That's fucked up. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So as the police begin to investigate this super strange, unprovoked attack on the Andrews, I mean, after all, they were in their own home in, in the garage in a very nice neighborhood of Oklahoma City. And Brenda's story was basically just, these two guys walked up and attacked us and, and were trying to rob us. And then they just killed Rob and shot me. That was her story. Wow. The police are like, oh, okay, sure. We'll, we'll start looking for these two masked assailants. Sure. They start digging into Brenda, and they quickly discover her relationship with James Pavot. And then they learn that two weeks before his murder, Rob had actually paid a visit to his insurance company in person. According to the Oklahoma City prosecutor, uh, Galen Grieger, quote, Mr. Andrew expressed to those people how his wife and his insurance agent were in cahoots to try to, he thought, to try to kill him, end quote. So that kind of sheds a lot of light on where Rob's mind was at. Oh, yeah. During that November. It makes a lot of sense why he called up his buddy Ronnie to go with him to see this dog. It's kind of sad because if he would have called somebody to go with him to pick up his kids that night, he probably would still be alive. Yeah. Now, as preparations for Rob's funeral were was made, uh, more questions about Brenda's possible involvement in his death arose. Then, on the day of his funeral, James Bavat, Brenda Andrew, and their ch- and Brenda's children were nowhere to be found. They had fled to Mexico. Oh, shit. Not suspicious at all. Not suspicious at all. The police were, at this point, they just issued a wanted bolo for, for Brenda. They figured she, had, she was on the run somewhere. They didn't know she had, ha- had headed to Mexico, but they figured they would catch her eventually. And in late February 2002, three months after they went on the run, 
James and Brenda were apprehended as they tried to re-enter the United States from Mexico. They basically had run out of money and they were sneaking back in to see if they could get some more money before heading back to Mexico. That was their plan. Okay, well, guess what? Spoiler alert, didn't work. (laughs) No, it did not. In fact, the couple got extradited right back to Oklahoma, where they were charged with first-degree murder and held without bail. Sweet. Yeah. Thankfully, Rob's parents were able to step in and take care of the kids in this situation so they didn't have to go into foster care or anything like that, which is really good. So the prosecutors have both these suspects, they have James and Brenda in custody, and they decide, I'm going to, let's try them separately. Uh, They first tried James for murder in the first degree. And the prosecutors go on to build this super meticulous case against him, laying out the means and the motive of the murder. They basically say, you know, James was an ex-army sniper. He was skilled in firearms. He was sleeping with Rob's wife. And he was clearly crucial in the insurance life insurance scheme to, ca- to cash in on Rob's eventual death. Um, so much so that he even prevented Rob from removing Brenda as the beneficiary. Huh. Needless to say, the jury found Pavat guilty and sentence him to death because Oklahoma is a swinging state. Well, I guess a stabbing, needling state. It's right next to Texas. It's, you know. Yeah. Now, next up is Brenda's trial. Now, her subsequent trial was as salacious as James's was meticulous. Yes. The prosecutors, they're just like, whatever. They don't need to build a meticulous case. They just trot out all of her (laughs) ex-lovers. And I swear to God, dude, if you have an opportunity, you can find bits and pieces of the court transcripts online in various articles. And the details are so sorted. Like they ask these guys all kinds of things, like when they started the affair, where they met at, how many times they had sex, all kinds of these awful details. And basically the prosecution strategy was like, we're just going to kind of show what a terrible lying wife she was. And that'll just make it very clear that there's a reason why she wanted to kill her husband. Yeah. And then they had a trump card. They make this shocking courtroom revelation that Brenda had also taken out a life insurance policy on James. What? Yes. She was planning on collecting life insurance money after James was executed for Rob's murder. Can you even do that? I don't know if that's a thing, but that's what the prosecution said her plan was to somehow uh, make James into the fall guy for this. Wow. Wow. Okay. So shows how far her loyalties go, which I mean, we already knew weren't far to begin with. So Exactly. So, like, her poor defense team is like, I guess we're going to try to portray her as a victim who uh, was trapped in a loveless marriage. (laughs) Well, yeah, they really had it tough. So. (laughs) Yeah. They they try their best. Uh, They remind the jury that she, too, was shot on the day that Rob was killed. But the prosecutors turn right around and present a couple forensic experts who claim that her wounds were self-inflicted. And based on the evidence from the crime scene, it indicates that she actually fired the second shotgun blast that killed rob yeah and then the device the defense introduces this letter that brenda claims james wrote to his adult daughter uh and in this letter he takes the full responsibility for the crime the the prosecution turns around finds some hair running experts who look at it and say this is probably a forgery (laughs) oh god yeah and that was probably part of her like plan to eventually like 
serve James up on a silver platter to get away with Rob's murder. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no one's buying it. No one's buying exactly. it for a second. Exactly. Thanks, Kim Rico. I know. I feel like Brenda watched way too many like crappy Lifetime movies about like murder yes. and was like, here's the plan, babe. Like, mm-mm. The jury deliberated for six hours before returning a guilty verdict and Brenda was sentenced to death. This is absolutely like mind boggling to me. This quote from Brenda, like as she's leaving the courtroom after her guilty verdict, she says to reporters, quote, the verdict which sentenced me to the death penalty is an egregious miscarriage of justice. I am an innocent woman wrongfully convicted, end quote. Huh. Um, Brenda forensics yeah i don't think anyone's buying it sweetheart thanks for trying yeah i mean good for you since her initial conviction she's appealed her death sentence um her appeal was denied in 2008 she's currently the only woman on death row in oklahoma wow yeah yeah she's the only only lady there james Bavat also appealed his death sentence and in 2017 the U.S. Court of Appeals actually voted to reverse part of his death sentence, uh, but the Oklahoma Attorney General's office immediately appealed the decision, and they won. James then continued the appeals process, and it made it all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. In January of 2020, however, the Supreme Court rejected his appeal, and now James is the 26th inmate eligible for execution when the state resumes executions after the end of the COVID-19 pandemic. If it ever ends. If it ever ends, correct. So, Aiden, that's the uh, Sunday School Killers story. That was crazy, Nicole. <laughs> I hope you liked it. I feel like it's. When I read this. I was like, Ian's gonna love this. Yeah, I did. I mean, I feel really, really bad for the victim because it's just like, okay, so you got into a crappy marriage, and then we're kind of like, we'll make it work. We'll make it work. We'll make it mm-hmm. work. And mm, no, shouldn't have done it. But hindsight's twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, it just sucks, but it, it was a really good story. I enjoyed it. Good I'm God. just pissed off at the world. Yeah, I know. I, it's it's interesting, too, because I feel like a lot of the sources that I read, I wish there would have been more insight into Rob, uh, like just what he was thinking and feeling and just, you know, his reasons for staying in this, in this dysfunctional relationship for so long. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, to quote Kenny Rogers, you got to know when to fold him. Yeah, I mean, it's it's always tough, though, because part of you, even though this person is turned into a monster, um, you still love them. So it's mm-hmm. always hard to walk away. It's hard to separate those feelings. Yeah, it's very, very true. All right, my sources for this story were OKCFox.com, OnlyInYourState.com, People.com, an episode of The Oxygen Original Snapped. I love Snapped. I know. Snapped is good. Uh, the Oklahoman newspaper, Bustle.com, The Sun newspaper, and TheAppeal.org. Awesome. Thank you, Nicole. You're welcome. Well, we are going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back with the news and also my story. And we're back. And I have a news article for us from Huffington Post. The headline is... They were stuck atop Britain's tallest coaster, then had to walk 200 feet down. I probably should have given a trigger warning for anyone who's afraid of heights like I am, because that sounds terrifying. Hence my silence of like, oh my God, was contemplating that, not liking it at all. (laughs) 
So a malfunction at the big one at Blackpool Pleasure Beach. Oh, God, Pleasure Beach again. We can't get away from that phrase. (laughs) Gave thrill seekers some unexpected extra excitement. Thrill seekers at the theme park in the UK got a little more than they bargained for this week when their roller coaster got stuck near the top. Eventually, (laughs) as the footage above and below shows, they had to be escorted off the big one at Blackpool Pleasure Beach by foot. Step by careful step down a steel staircase in the open air from near the ride's 213 foot summit. Oh, no. Mm-mm. I wouldn't be able to. I'd be like, no, get like a cherry picker up here and just have them pick me up. Yeah. I yeah. can't do it. So the big one was the tallest and fastest coaster in the world when it opened in 1994, according to Coaster Grotto. It's since been surpassed. The current tallest, King Daka at Six Flags Great Adventure in New Jersey is more than twice as high at 456 feet. Ooh, no thank you. I think that one's super fast, too. It's, like, terrifying. Yeah. I don't do roller coasters, so I I would not be in this predicament. And, yes, this is a major reason I don't do roller coasters. But as the footage from the big one shows, being stuck about 15 stories up and then having to walk down is still quite the thrill, so much so that the park actually charges a fee for a tour that takes tourists to the top via the stairs. What the fuck? Who would want that? And unfortunately, that is the end of the article, but holy crap. Yeah, that's a shitty day. No, I would not be able to do it. I I would be frozen solid. You know, there's like that one person who's like friends convinced them, like, come on, just ride it with us. Just ride it. It's not fine. And then they get on it and they're just like, the one time, ride it, you said. It will be fun, you said. It is not fun. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I forget which coaster it was that my sister made me go on with her. Because I was like, I don't like roller coasters. I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. And um, she's like, oh, trust me, it'll be fun. If you don't like it, you can slap me. I really, really wanted to slap her. <laughs> but because she's my sister, I still couldn't do it. I well, wanted to slap brother. her for other things, too. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks for that news story, Eden. I feel like it got my blood pumping and also gave me some good nightmare fuel. Exactly. Mild panic attack happened while reading. (laughs) Do you also have a paranormal story? Oh, I forgot. No, I got it. (laughs) I would die and be like, okay, well, that's the end of the show. And uh, see (laughs) everyone next time. All right. I do have my story. So my story this week takes place in Guthrie, Oklahoma. Guthrie is just a little north of the middle of the state in Logan County, of which it is the county seat. Guthrie has a population of 10,191 residents and an area of 19.32 square miles. It seems to be a popular place to film movies as well. It's been featured in several movies that I haven't seen and two that I think most of us have if we were of a certain generation. Uh, Twister being the first one. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. do you remember the scene where they're at the drive-in? Yes. AKA where I'm going tonight. Um, <laughs> uh, that was filmed in Guthrie. Okay. So I guess as of 1996 or whenever that came out, Guthrie still had a drive-in, which they need to come back in style because it's certainly my preferred way to go to the movies. For sure. It's lovely. The other movie that uh, features the city's main street is Rain Man. There's like a really brief shot of the main street, and that's the main street in Guthrie. Okay. All right. Yeah. 
And Guthrie also seems to have a few notable people born there, such as bluegrass musician Byron uh, Berline, Berlin, I don't know, director Jerry Hopper, and prohibition advocate Carrie Nation. (gasps) Carrie Nation. Yep, which always just makes me think of Valley of the Dolls because they changed the name to the Carrie Nations. I don't know if you ever saw that movie. I've seen the movie. I don't remember that part, though. It's been years, though. Yeah, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls is like the weirdest fucking movie ever. Oh, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Actually, I don't think I've seen that one. Oh, yeah. It's it's nuts. It's Russ Myers, who just like to feature women with huge boobs and not a whole (laughs) lot else. It's nuts, and you have to watch it because it's crazy. Anyway, it was also where Bill Doolin, who was an outlaw who was the founder of the Wild Bunch, was buried. There was a shootout in Guthrie involving a member of the Wild Bunch as well, and his name made me laugh because it's Richard Little Dick West. <laughs> Little Dick West. <laughs> Little Dick. I wonder who got the big dick. I know. There are a lot of interesting things in the city, including a well-preserved Victorian downtown area, uh, a national fi- the National Finals Steer Roping Rodeo, and the Oklahoma... International Bluegrass Festival. Oh, cool. I love a good bluegrass festival. Yeah. It also hails itself as the bed and breakfast capital of Oklahoma, which brings me to the subject of my story for today, the Stone Lion Inn Bed and Breakfast. Okay. So the Stone Lion Inn Bed and Breakfast is located on Warner Avenue in Guthrie. My first source for this was the inn's website, and their main page was so cool. First, let me say that they have no qualms about being a haunted inn because it is right on their main page. <laughs> They're like, listen, y'all, it's haunted, just so you know. Exactly. So when you open the website, it looks like this big hardcover book with links to all the pages going down the spine of the book. Uh, so props to whoever designed that because I really love it. Oh, cool. I just went there. It is really cool. I will say that their email made me question what decade we were in and even what century, really, since it was at AOL.com. No way. Yep. No way. So the inn itself is this big, beautiful old house. The outside is this clean white with a brick chimney, lots of windows, a big, beautiful wraparound porch with a balcony on top and a widow's walk on the roof, which is something that I've always thought was pretty damn cool. Although I haven't seen a lot of widow's walks on houses that weren't near the beach. Well, I mean, whaling was a big thing apparently in Oklahoma. You know, yeah, so. I guess. <laughs> those damn pond whales, were, uh, pond whales were a menace. Gotta hunt down those puddle whales, you know? Yep. Every time it rains, those bitches come out. <laughs> so, the inn was established in 1907 and... While the building has definitely been restored and updated, they did it the right way and kept the appearance of the original home. The upstairs has some sitting rooms, although the website said setting rooms, which is a colloquialism. Downstairs, you can find parlors and a library, which is really cool. They also have a dining room and a, quote, 200-year-old French country kitchen table that seats 10. Wow. Their website also says the inside features leaded glass bookshelves, pocket doors, Adam's staircase, which I don't know what that is, and typing into Google gave me a bunch of different staircase styles, so that might remain a mystery. Uh, 
three fireplaces and bathrooms with clawfoot tubs. And I will say after checking out the rooms that it's a very select few that have the clawfoot tubs. So you got to make sure if you want that to check the rooms. Okay. Good tip. Thanks, Eden. You're welcome. The grounds are also beautiful and there's like this nice gazebo to sit out on. I did notice there's also like a, like a little cottage and there's other locations on the property as well that you can stay at. When you go to your room, you'll find a complimentary terry cloth robe, which is always nice. Mm-hmm. When I stayed at the Logan Inn, they gave you these really soft robes too. And uh, when I stayed there with the friend that I went with, wanted to steal the robe. But then I pointed out that I was paying for the room and there was a clear sign that said, if you steal this robe, we will charge you $300. So I made him put it back. Like, I will buy you a nicer robe for $100. Do not take it. Exactly. Let's go to Ross. We can find one for much less. (laughs) (laughs) So since this is a bed and breakfast, they, of course, offer breakfast each morning, which I love, but I'm also notorious for sleeping through because me and mornings do not mix. (laughs) So their offerings sound really good, though. Uh, According to their website, they offer French press coffee, which I love French press coffee. It's all I have in my house for coffee, that and a a mocha pot. Oh, yeah. Espresso maker, because that's all a girl needs. Exactly. They have uh, fresh blueberries and strawberries in rum cream, a quiche of the day, muffins, and Canadian bacon, which is just a fancy way of saying tiny ham, honestly, and I don't understand the appeal. (laughs) I've only dealt with it once when I made my ex-husband his favorite uh, breakfast food for his birthday, or maybe our anniversary, I forget which one, but I made Eggs Benedict, which I had never made before. Did you make your own hollandaise? Yep. Made my own hollandaise, poached my own eggs, did everything. And I had never poached an egg before either. It's kind of fun to poach eggs. Good for you. I know. I like poaching eggs too. I learned how to do that. I actually did the same thing. I made a special request, Eggs Benedict, for my wife. And uh, when she saw me making the hollandaise, she was like, what is that? I'm like, it's hollandaise. She's like, how much – is that more butter you're putting in? I'm like, yes. And I just watched her face as I added more and more butter to the egg (laughs) yolks and just the horror. (laughs) I have a really, really awful joke for you. Uh, Okay. Okay. I found it on Facebook years ago. Why was the Eggs Benedict served on a hubcap? I don't know. Why? Because there's no plate like chrome for the hollandaise. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. It needed to be said, though. It needed to be said. I mean, you said it. (laughs) I did. I can't take it back now. (laughs) It's out there for everyone to hear for all of eternity. (laughs) So the hotel offers several suites to choose from. And they're all very turn-of-the-century looking. Uh, They range in price from $77 a night for two people to $137 a night for two people. Some of them, such as the wedding suite and the bordello suite, have sitting rooms, which is also nice because most bed and breakfasts have kind of cramped rooms, if you haven't noticed. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think I'd want to stay in the bordello suite, though, because the name bordello just kind of screams you're going to find all kinds of crusty secretions on your streets, and I don't want that. Fair enough. Yes. There's also a murder mystery package, which is pretty cool. As far as pricing goes for this, I'm not really sure since the website had conflicting things. I did the math from where the prices were listed on the rooms page. And it was $108, but then they say on the actual murder mystery page that it's 
$181 to $229 per couple. So I don't know. And then another one said like 50 some dollars. It was all over the place on the website. I don't know. Maybe it's it's one of those things where you call about and you figure out their packages. <laughs> exactly. So if you want to get a good look at that package, you better call them. <laughs> it looks like it's like a cocktail and dinner party sort of thing. They do like either 20s, 30s, or 40s theme. And okay. like you get to play a character and you have to stick in that role for the whole night. Um, it starts at 6.30 with some cocktails, and then you take a trip to the cemetery at 7. Then dinner's at 7.30 to 8.30. And then you go into the library to discuss the investigation, followed by dessert at 10. And then finally at 10.30, you go back to the library to solve the murder. It sounds fun, but definitely, if you're like us, something you might need to save up for. The next morning after this, you go to listen to the history of the house and hear some ghost stories with breakfast at 9 a.m. They also appear to have several other like bed and breakfast on the property, like I mentioned. Maybe the website wasn't really clear, but I'm sure we can find more later in my story. But guess what? I didn't. So <laughs> basically, it seems like they have this one of the one called a white peacock or some color peacock. Okay. And that one has like a hot tub. And that stuff sounds like fancy. That. that sounds like a fancy wedding getaway suite. Yeah, it seems really nice. Their website, although cool, has definitely not been updated for a while because their ghost story section was Flash-based, which I don't think I can even get to run on a newer computer. Interesting. Yeah. AOL, Flash-based, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just like, Flash and Shockwave both do not play, so guess what? I'm SOL. Their website was also unsecured. And kept trying to download a music file called Titanic, which I can only assume is uh, My Heart Will Go On. Interesting. And I definitely don't want that. Thank you very much, Celine Dion. I had to live through it being played every second on the radio, and I do not wish to revisit that point in my life. It seemed like near, far, wherever I was, that song would go on and on. (laughs) No thank you, Miss Celine. Go back to Canada. Now let's do a brief rundown of the history of this place so we can get to the ghost, shall we? Let's. Let's dive in. And when I say brief, I mean brief because I really didn't find a whole hell of a lot. I'm sure like if I would have been able to call them that I would have found more, but the internet was scarce this week. Uh, The house once belonged to a couple with no first names that I could find online since a lot of like the interwebs just wanted to talk about the murder mystery party package. Uh, They are called Mr. and Mrs. Houghton. They had 12 children, which, as you know, is 12 too many for me, unless they're covered in fur. (laughs) Uh, The story goes that their daughter, Augusta, got sick with whooping cough and died when her nurse gave her the wrong medication. Uh, And I will go back to this a little later when I start talking about the ghosts. Okay. The only other thing I really found out about the house that wasn't ghost-related was that the mansion is 8,000 square feet, so it's pretty damn massive. And back in 1907, when it was built by the Houghtons, it cost $11,900, which made it the most expensive house in town. Wow. If only prices were still the same today, I could totally build that house if I just saved a little more money. I know. Um, It was also a funeral home in the 20s, and there's a morgue in the basement, which is always fun. Sure, we'll go with fun. 
Yeah. Why not? Uh, so I guess I'll start getting into the ghosts as I give you this last bit of history. The house was purchased in 1986 by a woman named Becky Luker, and she decided to renovate as one tends to do. Needless to say, the ghosts were not very happy with this idea and decided to make their opinions very much known. Poor Becky, or what I'm calling her now from this point on, Becky with the good hair, <laughs> kept thinking someone was breaking in because once this renovation process began, the doors in the house started to open and close on their own. The cops were called several times, and there were never any intruders. Hmm. It's kind of really uncomfortable and unsettling. Yeah, definitely. So Becky with the good hair's son, Grant, also had a run-in with the ghost. This one most likely being Augusta, I think, uh, who would scatter his toys around his room every night while he was sleeping. Apparently, he would put his toys in his toy chest every night, but when he would wake up, they'd be all scattered everywhere. Mm. And Augusta isn't the only one said to haunt the house by any stretch of the imagination, though. If you smell pipe tobacco, you might be in the presence of Augusta's father, Mr. Houghton. He's said to just sort of hang around smoking. He also seems to appear at random points in the house, so you never know where he's going to be. Hmm. Interesting. There are lots of ghost, uh, like child ghost noises in this inn, which could be Augusta or possibly her siblings as well. Uh, just because she was the only one that you know died in the house, as far as I'm aware of, of the kids, doesn't mean that the other kids wouldn't have some sort of attachment to the home. Makes sense. Makes sense. People sometimes hear a wooden ball being rolled around on the floor, as well as children's footsteps in the hallway. Guests have also reportedly complained of noisy kids jumping in the beds or on the beds in other rooms when they, there weren't any children staying there. It's like, I'm just trying to sleep. Keep these kids quiet. Well, I mean, kids jumping on the bed and people fucking roughly in a hotel sound pretty much the same. So who knows? <laughs> <laughs> well, now you've ruined it because every time I hear that, I'm going to think it's kids jumping on the bed eating. Yeah, but really it's couples doing it. So Becky with the good hair also says that one guest came up to her and told her that they kept hearing the sound of a music box all night. And she was like, I don't have a music box. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah, that's that could be a really creepy noise too. like a like a music boxes are just a little they're a little, yeah. a little off putting if you don't actually like physically see it. You're just like, um, what is that? And how many of them are constantly featured in horror movies, so there's already a little creep factor there. Good point. Uh, Investigators have seen apparitions in this place and have uh, collected photos of them, and they've collected a lot of EVP as well, which I usually can't hear anything in, but this one actually had some decent quality ones. One was a man's voice saying, do you hear what they're saying? Another was a woman saying, Sarah, good sister. Creepy. Another said, liar, and I'm scared, which are a little more terrifying for me. Yeah, no. Mm-mm. Do yeah, I, I don't like it either. <laughs> there are cold spots throughout the building as well, which is pretty standard. And people feel like there's someone behind them, but when they turn around, they're alone. I uh, hate that. Hate that. You're going to hate this too. Guests have also reported seeing a little girl come to tuck them in at night, which is possibly the creepiest part of this in for me. 
I was fine with going to this place and maybe staying for the for the breakfast the next day, but like that might be a deal breaker for me. Yeah, really goddamn terrifying. Exactly. <laughs> like, <turn down> service. <laughs> yeah. Oh. No, no thanks, Augusta. Just please stay away. Um. So all in all, this place seems like a pretty cool bed and breakfast, and I'd like to stay there sometime as long as I didn't get visited by a little girl who was gonna tuck me into bed. Because no, um. But I haven't heard like any stories of any like super negative entities roaming around, so it's probably pretty safe. So what do you think, Nicole? I mean, I feel like if you're okay with child ghosts, maybe this is a great little spot for you to to kind of have a little ghost adventure of your very own where you could just go maybe experience something paranormal that's not malicious that isn't too scary all around it sounds like a pretty delightful bread and breakfast for the haunted varieties considering all the ones we've covered over the over the course of the road trip and murder mystery package i mean can't yeah go wrong there like i would absolutely go to a murder mystery party there and i'd be like oh maybe we can we almost set that bed and breakfast down the road that's not haunted i don't know well there's plenty to choose from. remember this is the bed and breakfast capital of oklahoma that's true that's true my sources for this week were Wikipedia, StoneLionIn.com, HauntedRooms.com, OnlyInYourState.com, and KTUL.com. I could have also used Travel Channel as well, but it was a Ghost Adventures-related thing, so I didn't really trust it. Mm, that's fair. So, you know. But that's my story. Great. Well, thanks for that story, Eden. Um, if you like what you heard today... Feel free to give us a shout or drop us a line at our email address, which is roadsidehorrorshow at gmail.com. You can also visit our website, which is roadsidehorrorshow.podbean.com. It'd be great if you all wanted to catch up with us on social media. We post lots of funny memes, interesting articles that we find that relate to usually haunted locations or just plain old freaky weird locations. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Roadside Horror Show and on Twitter at Roadside Horror. We'd also like to thank Yox Rocks Designs for our logo and E. Massey for our intro and outro music. Until next time, Roadsters. Creep, creep on, on, creeping, creeping on. on.